Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, where we take a peek behind the scenes into different fields of social work, engage and inspire practitioners, translate research into practice and encourage lifelong learning. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Hi everybody, I hope you're doing well. This week's episode, I interviewed Justine Grimmer about her experiences working in emergency department mental health. Uh, So we often refer to um, mental health services delivered through hospitals as tertiary mental health services. And Justine's been working in this space for quite a while, but her career didn't start off there. So she wrestled with the idea of becoming a social worker for well over a decade and then finally decided enough was enough and she was going to enroll in the social work degree in her 30s as a mum with over a decade experience working in various community service welfare type roles. Justine's not alone in that. Uh, As the listeners might be aware, a number of our guests have actually moved into social work later on in their professional careers or have made a complete change and switched from something very different into social work. So we welcome as many social workers as we can. And I love Justine's energy and passion for the industry and her desire to work with people and advocate for them while also balancing some of the difficulties working in a big system such as a hospital. Justine uh, shares with us some of her journey and some of the things that she's done to keep herself educated and up to date with different modalities and different approaches. So without further ado, here is my interview with Justine. Well, welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast. I'm interviewing today um, Justine Grimmer. Welcome, Justine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, So we met a while back at one of the um, AASW practice groups. So um, for those listening, you can go to the ASW website. There's a whole bunch of practice groups for various, I guess, niche areas that social workers are in. Yep. And we met in one that I think is on pause at the moment. Yes. um, Which is probably good timing because COVID has thrown a big spanner in the works. Um, But I wanted to talk to you today about your social work journey and where you're at now. Could you share with the listeners how you became a social worker and yeah, yep. yeah, what happened? Um, yeah, I, a roundabout way, as people can tend to do. <laughs> um, I wanted to be a social worker uh, when I was much younger and um, that got derailed. I had a child and um, I also had parents who didn't really well, particularly my mother who didn't really believe in social work. And so I kind of got dissuaded from it um, through that. And, um, but I think things that you're really meant to do, you come back to. Um, And I came back to it via different kind of means. I tried um, community welfare and all this kind of stuff first because I didn't want to admit that I wanted to be a social worker, I guess. (laughs) Um, And... um, I guess the biggest thing that inspired me to really do it was I used to work in a pub in inner city Melbourne and um, a guy used to come into that pub who was an older guy who was an alcoholic (laughs) and um, he was also sort of homeless and um, I just kept, I kept, he was very much um, 
mocked and derided and, and all that kind of stuff. And he was a little bit um, out there in his behaviour at times. And I kept advocating for him a lot. And I realised I want to work with these sorts of people. <laughs> um, I want to help people and do something more meaningful than certainly working in a pub. Um, and it just meant a lot to me that he got treated fairly and that he was obviously, you know, had issues in his life. And, um, yeah, so I thought I'm going to bite the bullet and study social work. Do you mind me asking Sadly. roughly how old you were when you made this decision? To how old I was? Um, yeah, I was roughly early 30s, early 30s. So, yeah, I'd done a lot of welfare work before that, but unqualified welfare work, you know, not as a social worker, um, but heaps of welfare, helping industries, all that kind of stuff work before that. So I, I was a social worker. I just had to formalise it and stop running from it, basically. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a bit of a meat cute. <laughs> <laughs> I really like hearing people's stories who discover the profession or decide yeah. to take that next step later on yeah. um, in their careers, in their working life. I know. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. How did you find studying formally um, in your mid-30s? And with you said you had a child by then as well? Yeah, I had a child, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd done a Bachelor of Arts um, already and... Um, she was quite young when I did that. So she came to uni with me and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then doing the um, Bachelor of Social Work, I actually found it extremely easy. And I mean, that sounds a bit braggy, but um, I think it, it, it was really easy because it was right. Um, not that the Bachelor of Arts wasn't, because I really, really enjoyed that as well. Um, but it was just, it just clicked. Everything just clicked into place really well. And um, it made sense. It just really made sense what I was doing. So um, I found it a very, very good experience. The worst part about it was the placements um, <laughs> and not being able to work as much, you know, um, that really impacts on you financially, um, the placements. But I actually had saved some money which I used on the placements. So um, that worked out fine in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, when you say easy, I'm hearing not that the course content was easy, but it felt like the right life decision and the right profession yep. for you that it sounds like you were so energized by it that it wasn't, um, you know, it didn't feel like a burden. Like I know some people, you know, will do a career or, or study something that their heart's maybe not in it a hundred percent. And then that's yeah. when it can feel like an extra chore. Yep. Definitely. Um, because I tried, um, cause my mother is a teacher and she wanted me to be a teacher. And so I tried teaching twice and, um, <clears throat> I tried, I think primary first and then secondary or something. Hated it both times. Um, and it was a chore. It was just, uphill slog and it did not feel right it felt terrible um and so when i the difference with doing social work it was just so seamless um it just told me that i was doing the right thing by pursuing that basically that's wonderful i almost want to get t-shirts made saying one of us <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so where have you where have you worked in your career and where has that kind of led you to now? Um, oh, many places. Um, since qualifying, I've worked in um, family violence or uh, like a women's sh- women's shelter. Um, I've worked in homelessness, aged, because one of the things that I wanted to do was be um, a hack assessor, which is a, a home um, home care, um, home help assessor for the council. Um, so I worked in age, I worked in um, like the older person's high rides program, um, which had a lot of different kind of issues there and a bit of community, community development um and community mental health so the real the pdrs or mhcws side of things um just a bit of everything like with clients with a lot of complex presenting issues as well so if i didn't work in pure drug and alcohol i did work with clients with drug and alcohol issues that kind of thing um but yeah generally a lot of aged and homelessness and mental health work (laughs) has been the background of it mm. and now you're in tertiary mental health services yeah so i'm in um emergency mental health in an ed in a major hospital um and that and by, came and by, after, sorry and by um, ed you mean emergency department yeah. not eating disorders <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> correct emergency <laughs> department um mental health yeah um and that was after doing, um, so yeah, I did that community mental health and then I did the, like the cat team, they called it something different. Um, and then I went into the, yeah, the emergency department, mental health side of things. Um, and that's where I am now. What role do social workers play in ED? Mm. Um, so in, well, there's a couple of different roles that social workers can play in ED. One is as a straight social worker. Um, and one is in the emergency mental health side of things, which is where I am. Um, so, um, the straight social worker role, like a generalist kind of social worker role, um, is that they see people who present with complex issues, um, a lot of housing stuff or domestic violence stuff, um, and help link them to services or get housing or temporary housing. Um, the role that I'm in, which is part of a, a team, a multidisciplinary team on, in mental health, um, is kind of a bit more generic, I guess. You're a clinician, you're a mental health clinician. Um, you're not necessarily a social worker. So we don't tend to do, our um, social workers in emergency mental health don't tend to do pure social work um we leave that to the social workers (laughs) it's weird um but um you do bring even though that's the case you do actually bring um your social work skills obviously to that role um but yeah you're a bit of a generalist clinician what are some of the unique ways that social workers might view um sort of mental health in that setting so i know you're sort of saying they're all kind of clinical mental health practitioners what are some of the maybe nuances Mm -hmm. or differences that social workers will either observe or in how we a little bit different in that space yeah um i think we are quite 
I think we're unique. I think we're really good to have in mental health, actually, um, because mental health is, in my view, not, um, it's a social problem. Um, and it's impacted by social issues um, and created by social issues quite a lot of the time as well. Um, so I think we do see mental health as a broader kind of issue than, than um, other disciplines might. Um, we see it as much more um, formed by social situations, um, stress and, and that stresses and that kind of thing. Um, and we also see it as, um, I guess, fixed, if for want of another term, by um, broader things than just medication or just one-on-one -on -one counselling, that kind of stuff. Um, so I do believe that we can bring that to mental health, um, not just focus on pathologising people or seeing as an, as an individual issue or a medication issue. Um, um, and it's not just about dysfunction, it's about improving function as well um, in many facets of life. So I think um, we see that, we see it as that, but we also look at it as, um, I know I look at it as an opportunity to advocate for people's rights in, in mental health and not just in the mental health system, I guess, is what I'm saying too, because the mental health system is a, a huge beast um, and it's quite messy and um, there's a lot of gaps in it. Um, so I think there's a really good environment there for social workers to advocate for clients to get services and to get the right kind of services and to improve our services overall. Yeah, that's, um, that sounds about right. <laughs> I'm hearing all the systemic things come into yeah. play there as well. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Does that ever create um, maybe not conflict but tension between different disciplines working um, together so closely? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of a constant. Um, I won't say battle, but it's a bit. It can be a bit of a, a struggle to, um, I guess, articulate where you're coming from as a social worker. Um, and being understanding of where another discipline might be coming from. So I'll pick for, for a case of um, example, um, like um, psychiatric nurses, they tend to come from a very um, medicalised point of view and um, focus on medication, um, often compliance. They focus on compliance quite a lot as well and um, kind of risk-averse practices um it's a it's a bit of a more narrow focus from my experience um whereas ours is a bit more broad and a bit more um less risk averse and um yeah more kind of reflective and critical thinking um so that can make i guess for difficulties when you um uh, can kind of work with someone around well they, they just need to take their medication. And so we're sort of looking at, well, why aren't they taking their medication? What's impacting on that? What are the factors involved in why they're not taking that medication? And how can we work with them as a partner um, to, I guess, either increase their taking of medication or looking at um, solutions around that, that that involve something different? Um, so that kind of 
yeah, butting heads can happen, I guess, um, with, with those different kind of points of view, different approaches. So it sounds like the destination is kind of the same, but there are different approaches that each discipline takes that yep. tries to get the, the client or the patient there. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you say um, client and patient as well, because even, even just down to the language um, is interesting. Um, I mean, technically, if they're in an ED, they're a patient of the ED. Um, but I, I use the word client and pe other people use the word patient quite a lot. And I find that jarring to refer to people as patients. Um, and often I'll call them people as well. So it's, it's interesting. It, it gets right down to those little tiny levels of um, just the language we can use to describe somebody. Um, shows where we come from sometimes and, and what our agenda is sometimes as well. So all those things are just kind of ever present really, but you're in this big machine, which um, is like one of those traveling escalators, you know, you just, it's just constantly moving and it's really hard to sort of stop it and think step, you know, take a step back and think it's, it, it kind of encourages you to keep going, keep going and not question things. Um, yeah. So I think social workers are very important in terms of that because we do question things. Um, we're kind of trained to. <laughs> and not everybody likes that. Not everybody likes that at all. No. <laughs> um, I've lost my train of thought that, cause that, just, <laughs> that is so true that, um, you know, trying to agitate the system, I can see why some people find that um, frustrating. Yeah. But we're trying to advocate for the people that we work with. So the service users, clients, patients, whatever language you use, it's trying to improve access for them. Yes. And that rustles feathers and not everybody's okay on the receiving end of that, but not everybody's confident to do that. Cause it's like you said, it's really, you're in this big machine and sometimes you're mm. employed by the same organization whose policies you're trying to change. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting you talk about the medication compliance because um, the, the episode that would have that's released just before um, this one is all around motivational interviewing and how to use MI in behaviour change um, and coming at it from that perspective mm -hmm. as well uh, is quite interesting to see allied health staff working with people to support behaviour change. Yeah. A lot of... Um, a lot of the students I've worked with and a lot of um, listeners are very interested in working in the mental health space. Have you had to do yeah. any additional kind of training or, you know, what sorts of things have you done to, to I guess, to boost your knowledge of either mental health yeah. or different therapeutic techniques and tools? Mm, um, yeah, because in, in the social work degree itself, they're really, I don't remember any mental health training. I mean, there must have been something, but I, it wasn't huge. Um, so, yeah, there's no, I, I didn't do anything in that. But after that, when I became interested in mental health, um, I looked around for lots of different training. Um, there were certain kind of diagnoses that interested me, so I'd look for training in that particularly. Um, but along the way, you kind of get training and other things as well anyway. Um, 
so I basically just looked for my own things with all the, um, you know, the, like the uh, Western cluster kind of training and um, online training. I did a lot of training with Spectrum, um, the personality disorders service of Victoria. Um, yeah, I just kind of looked for anything and everything. I just like learning basically. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I just went looking for stuff and I went to conferences and, yeah, just talked to people, watched other people, how they worked and that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of the stuff I had was transferable anyway, really, I think. Um, it was just the technicalities of, of mental health diagnoses that were that were kind of, that, that I needed to learn more about, I guess. Um, so I think just, yeah, looking for, looking for information where you can, talking to people. Talk, I talked to the psychiatrists a lot. Um, you know, they come at it from a very different point of view, but it, it's good for your um, understanding. It broadens your understanding of um, mental health um, to get their um, points of view about things. So, yeah, just anywhere and everywhere you can get information from, get it. <laughs> Are there any uh, specific kind of techniques or training that you, you really recommend people look into if they're interested in this space? Um, I guess I did a lot of, um, so I did some training in CBT. I've done training in ACT um, and I've done training in MBT and DBT as well. Um, some of them, you know, horses for courses, I guess. Some of them work for some people. Some of them work not for other, for those people. Um, but also some of them work better for specific diagnoses as well or different kind of presentations. Um, I find DBT is um, is quite good. I mean, I'm not a DBT therapist or anything like that. I'm not a therapist at all. Um, but I do use elements of all these things um, in my practice. Um, so even if you don't, yeah, do the whole uh, course or, or go the whole direction of being a therapist, the skills that you can take from um, those therapies can be really, really useful in just dealing with people every day and giving kind of psychoeducation to people and, and whatnot as well. So, yeah, um, I guess, yeah, probably DBT is one of my favourites and CBT. Yeah. They're the, they're the kind of big ones, isn't it? You always hear CBT yeah, kind yeah. of thrown around. Yep, you do. What are, um, so in addition to maybe doing some additional training, either in the content or um, particular skills for mental health, are there any other tools or resources that you'd recommend practitioners or new graduates kind of start looking at? Um, I think it, well, it depends on kind of what area you want to go into, but I know that um, the ASW site is really useful for anything that's upcoming so training that's upcoming um also um information from other social workers are in there um so yeah i i do tend to like that as a website um i think nothing that i can particularly think of as a website that's really helpful or a book that's really helpful it's really strange um I, I just tend to kind of Google stuff and just find what clicks with me in terms of what, what websites are out there. And I come across things by accident a lot. Um, 
I think the the training. Um, oh, MH Pod's good actually. MH Pod. Um, I've been kind of working through MH Pod quite a bit in our in our slow times in ED, um, and um, there's been some really good training in there, and it's written really well, um, and it's been very useful. So that's a good site, and it's free. That's all been revamped and refreshed revamped. this year. Yep. It's good now. <laughs> um, yeah, just things like that. I really like online stuff because it's just so easy, you know, um, as long as it's, you know, reputable stuff. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing that I can recommend really is online stuff. And what about in terms of connecting with other like-minded workers? How do you, how do you manage yeah. that? Because sometimes some of the benefits of multidisciplinary teams are all those perspectives and then the challenge can be mm-hmm. um, remembering your unique perspective and unpacking things with the frameworks that I guess your discipline yep. has. How do you balance that and what do you do to either yeah. network or stay connected to the social work side of, of that? Yeah, that's the tricky thing. Um, it is very easy to lose your it's easy to lose your um belief i guess in your unique perspective um and social work perspective it's very easy to lose that when you kind of swept up in big systems um and models which don't really value that a lot or understand it a lot um so you do have to make a concerted effort to remind yourself that you're a social worker and remind yourself what social work is um I, we go to the, uh, we have in our area mental health services, we have um, social work network meetings, basically. Um, they, I try and go to those, um, which can be difficult when you work shifts. Um, you don't always, you're not always there for those, unfortunately. With the advent of COVID, um, Zoom is just great. Um, if there's anything positive to come out of COVID, I think it's Zoom um, because it, it means you can go to those meetings. Um, even if even if I'm off that day, I can actually just tune into that meeting for an hour and still be connected. And I think that's okay. You know, some people might say there's boundaries around that and I get that, but um, it depends on how hungry you are for, to access those kinds of things. Um, I think it's really important to keep involved in some kind of network um having said that it's got to be the right network as well and it's got to be useful for you um yeah it's a tricky one to sort of balance um supervision is another thing that's super important um and it's it's really important to get the right supervisor as well. You, you it's like getting a counselor, although it's not counseling, but it, you have to click with that person. You have to, they have to get where you're coming from. You have to trust them. Um, and they have to really value who you are as well and what, what you bring and what perspectives you have and what you're trying to achieve. So it's really important to get that balance right as well. Um, and, so yeah, I guess those those are ways I stay connected. Other ways is just with incidental conversations with other social workers that I work with. Um, so I'll try and have social work perspective kind of conversations, even if they're really really brief. 
Mm. Um, with other social workers I've done more in the past to be connected to other social workers but um, at the moment it's not I I think because a lot of it's because of COVID but obviously also I was involved in the VMHSW and that's disbanded so that um, kind of went by the wayside as well Um, but yeah I guess just doing whatever you can really to stay involved in that to keep reminding yourself of the importance of social work because it's easy to forget it when you're swept up it really Mm. is um before we wrap up and i ask you for your advice um for the audience i'm curious what's i know you said you love learning so what's next for you are are you flirting with any other (laughs) courses or trainings like what's exciting you right now yeah um i am flirting (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, well, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm applying for the accreditation, uh, um, mental health social work accreditation, um, which I'm still kind of drafting all that stuff. And yeah, um, it's a big process and it's kind of, it's hard because we don't blow our own trumpets very well. And it's very hard to sit there and say, yes, I do this, this and this. And it's like, oh my God, that sounds so up myself, you know, but but you do, you do do it and it's, it's good to actually um, put that in writing, I guess, and to document that that's what you do. Um, so I am kind of applying for that and it's a, a bit of a goal at the moment to have that. Um, I think I want to... Emergency mental health is, is great and it's interesting and all that kind of stuff, but I really, really miss the... I miss outreach um, I started off in outreach uh, by myself, not with a partner like everyone else does now. Um, and I really, really miss that connection with families and working in someone's house um, and seeing them in their own environment and that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess I'm looking at possibilities for getting back into some kind of outreach um, yeah, because I just the hospital environment is a very it's 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 a hard environment to be in for a social worker like me anyway. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Oh, all exciting things ahead by the sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so. and the outreach capacity. I mean, the NDIS has created so much opportunity to be flexible with service delivery that it's yeah. Um, you know, one of the positives is it allows that kind of approach to think what would work for that client with their needs. Absolutely. And I know, it's great. Yeah. All right. So right at the end, <laughs> what's, um, if there was one piece of advice you could share with the audience, what would it be? Um, I would say um, I think it's really important to get to know yourself um, and who you are, what makes you tick, um, what drives you, why you're doing this, uh, what challenges what challenges you the most as well, um, so that I guess you can be really prepared for any obstacles along the way, um, but also be mindful of yeah what's important to you and then how you can um, I, I guess communicate that to to the clients that you work with um, because if you don't know yourself you're not you're not going to understand them um, and I think having having 
as much life experience as you can is, is a really helpful thing as well um, because you will meet people with lots of different life experiences um, and to have some kind of understanding of that is really, really helpful. Otherwise, you, yeah, I've met social workers who just don't understand why people are the way they are and because I've never experienced anything like that and um, I think it's really, it really does help that client if you do understand to some extent where they're coming from. Mm. It's interesting you say that because that's in um, having uh, working with students on placement. It's one of the areas of the, the learning plan to kind of reflect on your own values and ethics, which requires you, yeah. I believe in its essence, to think about where you are in position to those people around you. And that's those uncomfortable yeah. conversations of culture, gender, socioeconomic status, uh, sexuality, yep. religion, ethnicity. There's so many things that yeah. you need to be to do the work well. You need to be reflecting yeah. on how all of those things influence your Absolutely. thoughts, your decisions, your everything, who you are as a person. Absolutely. It's not that they're bad or good, but you need to be on top of that. You do. And also being mindful of the power that you have as a social worker, especially for me as a social worker in an emergency mental health role, the power I have in that is makes me uncomfortable at times. You know, we have that dual role basically of people under the Mental Health Act. It, you know, it's something you have to do, but it's how you do it. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think all those sort of self-awareness things are really important. And it maybe links into the last question I ask you, but what's one thing you wish you knew when you first became a social worker? Um, I think that, I think that sometimes um, you think coming into social work that you're going to change the world um, and you're going to make it all a better place and everybody's going to share your view um, and understand where you're coming from and be on board with that um, and I think that you get a bit of a rude shock when you discover that that's not necessarily the case um, and that you're you know you can be really passionate about something but not everybody kind of shares that passion or understands that passion um, so you have to uh, I guess reel it in a bit um, temper it a bit um, and not take everything so personally when it doesn't go the way you think it'll go, I guess. Um, but having said that at the same time, I think it's important to retain that passion as well. It's a really, it's a, it's a dance that you have to do. It's this constant dance between not upsetting the apple cart too much, but also getting some change affected as well for the better um, or what you hope is the better. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's it keeps you on your toes. Social work just keeps you on your toes in every possible way imaginable. So it's great. Okay. Is it who you are or what you do? Yeah, I know, right? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for me, it is who I am. Um, I, I personally think if you're, if you're doing social work and you're just ticking the boxes, it's not going to cut it. I, I don't think it'll cut it. And I don't think it'll cut it with particular kinds of clients as well they're going to spot you a mile away um, and they're not going to like it um, you're not going to get much out of them and you're certainly not going to get 
like the relationships in social work is so lovely. The relate those moments you share with clients where you have made a difference to them are just beautiful. And you're not going to get those if you're just ticking boxes. So I think, I, I do think it's who you are. It should be who you are. <laughs> Can I say should? Um, it would be good if it was who you are rather than just what you do. Cause it's not like accounting or, you know, you're not ticking boxes. These are people and human connections you're making. So, yeah. Mm. All right. And then I've got a few questions that are all just about you, nothing to do with social work. So let's fire away and see how oh. they go just to kind of, you know, be out of curiosity, really. Yeah. What's the most recent, yeah, yeah. what's the most recent book you've read? Oh God. Um, <laughs> I, I, I read crime books. I, um, yeah. So I'm reading one at the moment called Missing, Missing You, it's called. Um, it's just a, a bunch of stories um, about missing persons in Australia. What's the last TV show you binged watched? Um, I'm watching Fargo at the moment. What's one dish you cook well? Oh, um, I really <laughs> probably um, spaghetti with parsley pesto. Ooh. Mm. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, favorite thing to do on a day off. Oh, oh! Um, I really want, like watching Netflix, but I like gardening as well. I like pulling weeds. <laughs> uh, and what's your backup career? So what did you want to be when you were a kid? I wanted to be a writer. Okay. I wanted to write books, yeah. Um, and the last one is, is there a quote or mantra that resonates with you? I, there is one that I really quite like. I don't know if I can say it, it involves a swear word, but okay. um, <laughs> um, I think it's William Gibson. I think it is. Um, he said basically, before you diagnose yourself with depression um, or low self esteem, I think it says, um, f- first make sure you're not surrounded by assholes. Basically, I've just absolutely bastardized that, but. Um, basically says yeah before you think you're depressed make sure you're not just around assholes instead that sounds really fitting for some of the workplaces that we are yeah. in. <laughs> yeah thanks so much justine this was That's a blast <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> thank you for listening to today's podcast be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode's resources and don't forget to click subscribe and review us wherever it is you get your podcasts